Alright, so we're looking at Philippians 1, and we're going to look at verses, just verses 1 and 2 tonight. Let's give our attention to God's Word. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The grass withers, the flowers fade away. But the Word of God stands forever. Let me pray for us before we uh, look at it further tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, the rest of the good break. We thank you for this new semester. Uh, we thank you for every good and perfect gift. Uh, but Father, we are so grateful that you would speak. And so we thank you for your Word. And we pray that as the author of these words, that you would, you would now be their teacher, that you would actually, actually be here by your Holy Spirit, and that you, would, that you would open our ears so that we might hear, and our minds so that we might believe, and our eyes so that we might see. Uh, Father, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are, as I just said, we're looking this semester, we're going to study through Philippians. And, look, basically, I bet there's no doubt that everybody in life wants to find true happiness, right? We all want to find some sort of happiness, some sort of real joy in life. We're all looking for it. Um, We look for it in any number of places, in any number of ways. And, you know, you might can find it in brief stretches. Um, You might can even fake it for a little bit. Right? Put on the, sort of put on the happy face. Try to convince yourself and try to convince others that we found it. Uh, and, but even when you do get sort of little tastes of, of real happiness, if you're like me, it probably seems like in some ways it just never really seems to last. And really the reason, I, I, would, I would venture to say, is because eventually at some point real life just kind of comes crashing down into things. Right? And so this semester, we're going to look at really at the concept, at the, at the potential of joy, finding joy. Does it exist? Is there true, deep, lasting joy, happiness that we can find in life? If so, where do we find it? And so that's why this semester we're going to look, uh, we're going to study through this letter or book of Philippians. And so each week look, we're going to say that Philippians is like season two of life. I'm kidding. I've waited for six weeks to say that. I think I was more nervous about that than anything else. I'm kidding. If you, if you didn't get that, welcome to RUF. We talked about season one of life all last semester. But, so I'm kidding. Um, Philippians is a letter that's filled with joy. Uh, it's, it's a lot of folks' um, favorite book of the Bible. Uh, a lot of our sort of favorite passages come from Philippians, and I think that's why, because it's a letter that's just, it's filled with joy. The word uh, for joy and rejoice shows up, it's going to show up in 10 of the 15 passages that we've divided Philippians into this semester. And so in this book, Paul points us to a joy that is everlasting, that's it's real. And it's real even in the midst of the difficulties and struggles of real life. It's a very realistic look at joy. In fact, Paul writes this letter sitting in prison. So he gets real life. 
very much. And so as we start our series tonight, as we look at just these first two verses, we're really looking at Paul's greeting to these Philippians. And you, you've probably heard it said, you've probably heard this before, uh, what, what are the three main aspects that you look for in a piece of property? In real estate, what are the three main aspects that you look for? Right? You've probably heard this. I think I even heard some whispers, right? Number one is location. What's number two? Location. Number three is, in fact, location, right? And so you get the idea, right? The whole point is that in real estate, location is basically everything. Everything. Why is that the case? Well, if you think about it, everything else can change, right? You can, um, you can change the color of the paint. You can change the structure. You can remodel, you know, any number of things. But location is fixed, right? Everything else, you know, you can, you can deal with. But if you have a bad location, it's over, right? You're done. It all begins, it all begins with and hinges on location. And I think actually, as, I think Paul is basically telling us something fairly similar here in this passage. In what seems like sort of a, uh, you know, uh, just introductory verses we would skip through, um, I think it's actually more than that. Because Paul's going to tell us, right, we're going to look at this through the lens of joy. And I think even here in this little greeting, Paul is giving us the main aspect of joy, of where to find it, of, of what, the, what the basis, the most important aspect of true joy is in the midst of real life. And it's very simply, and maybe predictably, Jesus. Because you notice he actually says Jesus three times in this passage. And that's how we're going to look at it uh, tonight. Verse 1, uh, he says he's a servant of Christ Jesus. Later in verse 1, to all, the, to all who are saints in Christ Jesus. Thirdly, uh, where is it? Verse 2, grace and peace from God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. That's the way we're going to do this. Very briefly, we're going to look, number one, uh, at Paul, it's servants of Jesus. Number two, saints in Jesus. And then thirdly and finally, grace from Jesus. So first, Paul says that he is a servant of Jesus. Right, this is pretty, this is, it's weird to us to start a letter like this. We don't do that. It actually makes more sense to do it like this, to say who's writing, right? So he's basically just introducing himself, and he does so by saying that he is a servant of Jesus Christ. And now look, that might sound like, you know, kind of standard biblical language. Like, oh yeah, I mean, you know, he's Paul. Why wouldn't he say something like, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus? But I want you to take a second and think about it. Why would he say that? Because he actually only says, only calls himself a servant of Christ when he's introducing himself uh, two or three times. Most of all of his other letters, he says an apostle or something like that. So why does he do that? Well, look, one thing, look, there's a number of reasons. Uh, one thing you have to keep in mind is this is a church that Paul planted. Probably about five years before he's writing this. And he loves this church. And they love him. He seems to have a really unique relationship, and you'll kind of see that as we go throughout the semester. Really unique relationship with this church. And look, basically what he's trying to do in this very first sentence is to say, look, I know you love me, but everything about what I'm going to tell you, everything about me and who I am and and everything that I do, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's not about me. It's about him. Right? He's, 
he's basically trying to get them to think about the question, who do I serve? Right? Paul says, I am a servant. You know, we could definitely translate it slave. I am a slave of Christ Jesus. What he's trying to do, he's trying to get them to think, to reflect for just a minute on who it is. What do you center your life around? Because Paul's saying, look, everything about what I do, why I do what I do, uh, you know, the, the actual things that I do, what motivates me, how I think through it, how I think of everything about it, it's all in reference to Jesus. Jesus dictates everything for me. And he's pushing these Philippians just, just ever so gently in this first part to think about that for themselves. What do you center your life around? And look, very simply and quickly, that's, that's the application that I want to make from this, this first point. I want you and, and me to stop for just a second and think about that. I want you to reflect on that question and, and answer it. Who do you answer to? What do you center your life around? Uh, who or what is your master? What do you serve? Because look, we don't have time to go into sort of the, uh, you know, kind of make the argument, but everybody serves something or somebody. Even if it's nothing more than yourself. But everybody answers to and serves something. And so it seems like it's well worth the exercise to just stop for a minute and think, what is it? So I want you to reflect on that. You know, maybe it's something like your parents' expectations that ultimately at the end of the day what dictates the classes you take, why you came to Baylor, the people you hang out with, everything about what you do, maybe ultimately you'll find it's really what my parents expect of me. That's what drives me. Maybe it's something like the image of your future self, right? The, the doctor that you want to be 10 years from now or the you know, whatever it is, the mom that you want to be 10 years from now, the fill in the blank. Maybe that's what you're serving. Uh, maybe it's simply your own comfort and enjoyment. You know, maybe you think to yourself, man, I don't, I don't serve anybody. I do what I want to do. Still a master. And so as you think about who is it that you serve, I want you to think about this question also. How well is it ruling if it's dictating what you do and who you are and everything about, how well is it doing that? Does it bring you joy? Or really, is it making you miserable? Because look, we're going to spend the rest of the semester sort of teasing this out and developing it. But look, I want you to hear me to say that this is not me or the Bible saying something like this, right? That, look, you're going to work for somebody. And it better be Jesus, or he will make you miserable. So who do you serve? Hope you're choosing the right one. Right? That's not what we're saying. But what we're going to see Paul say throughout this letter is basically, look, the, the only one worth serving is Jesus. And the only one person, thing, anything that you can serve and actually serve it with joy is Jesus Christ. So who are you serving? 
He's actually a master that you can serve with true joy. And our second point, we'll begin to see why that is. So secondly, we're looking at, I want you to see that Paul addresses his letter to the saints in Christ Jesus. Right? Next, he moves from saying like, all right, so this is Paul writing to you. And who am I writing to? I'm writing to, he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. And now again, that might sound like just sort of a biblical thing to say, right? Like, that's, just, that's how he does it, right? You write to saints, I guess. Um, but what does that mean? What's a saint? You know, typically, I bet uh, we probably all default to thinking that it's somebody that's, that's unusually um, moral, right? Somebody that is uniquely uh, pious, that's, um, yeah, that, that's sort of extra moral. Right, if, and if you're uh, if you're Catholic, right, if I understand correctly, to be um, to to gain sainthood, you even have to perform at least be credited with performing a miracle, right? It's 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 the it's the cream of the crop, right? But actually, saint is Paul's standard word for believer. I, I didn't write down the stats, but uh, he calls he calls people that belief in Christ Christians just a couple of times throughout the New Testament. But he calls them saints all the time. Saints. Alright, so what does the word actually mean? The word is, it's actually the same word that we translate as holy. The same word that we translate as sanctified. And it basically means uh, set apart. Right? Other. Right, we talk about God uh, as being holy, 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 right, from Isaiah. It means that God is, is set apart. He's different. And so Paul tells these Christians, he says, he's telling them this to remind them who they are. You're the ones that are set apart in Christ Jesus. You're the ones that God is considering holy in Christ. He wants them to remember. He wants them to remember, look, you're, you're not just... You're not just a member of some sort of club. To the members of you know, the church in Philippi. This is not just some club that you're a member of. He wants them to realize that they are, they are treasured by God. That God has, that the God of the universe has set them apart. Has taken them out and set them apart because he finds them valuable. Special. That he treasures them. Right, I think the picture, uh, like if you collect something, right, you know what it's like. You have you know, the things that you collect and you take good care of them. And then the things that you, uh, like your special ones, like you find the rare one, you, you, what do you do with it? Right? You, you set it apart. Uh, a, campus, a campus minister friend of mine was telling us a story. He's uh, basically like a treasure hunter, um, like has metal detectors and you know, goes in these old creek beds. And like he works really hard at this and he finds some really cool stuff. Right? And one of the things that he found recently was this, uh, this glass bottle. It's like almost 200 years old, and it was almost perfect, like from the day that it was made. And he said it, it was amazing. Like he kind of, you know, it was one that he kind of knew what it was, and he knew how valuable it was, and he found it. And so how do you think, how do you think he treats that? He, he sets it apart, Right? Because it's valuable to him. It's special. He takes extra special care of it. He treasures it. Because it's valuable to him. And 
That's at least part of the picture that Paul is wanting to give these, uh, these believers. That God, that God treasures his people, sets them apart. They're special. So what does that mean for us? Look, it, it means if you're a believer, that's how God feels about you. That he doesn't just tolerate you um, and allow you to be a member of his uh, organization as long as you sort of keep things together and keep in line and you know, don't act too much the fool. Repent every now and again. And he'll let you stay in. No. He treasures you. Right? He, he sets you apart. He takes you out of the miserable situation where your own soul is killing itself. And he sets you apart. He brings you out of darkness and in the light, out of death and in the life. And He grows you and He changes you and He cares for you and He loves you and He makes you more like He is. He sets you apart because He finds you valuable. And now look, that's a truth, right? If that's true, since that's true, right? Can't you see that if that's true, if God really does feel about you that way, then that would really begin to create some joy in life, wouldn't it? If the God of the universe really does look at me and say, this one is special. I'm going to set this one, I'm going to set this one apart. And that would begin to inject some joy into life, right? Because if that's true, then it, then it, means, it, it means a lot of things. It means that, it means that, the diffi- that we can look at our life and realize, begin to realize that the difficult circumstances that we find ourselves in that we're not going through those because God is mad at us. If God really does treasure us, then the difficult things that he sends our way, it's not because he's mad. It's not because I screwed up and he's, and he's sort of zapping me. Right? It means that if that really is true, if God treasures me and sets me apart, then that's going to change my perception of how God feels about me when I sin. Right? It means that there can be joy in the midst of real life. And look, one other quick thought along these lines. We're going to have to move through this quick. But So that kind of leaves the question, well, how treasured, how special are we to God if you're a believer? Well, look, that's where the Jesus part comes in, right? To, the, to those who are saints, who are set apart in Christ Jesus. And now look, the whole concept of being in Christ is enormous. For Paul, right? For the New Testament. Um, He talks about it all the time. And it's this basic idea that what it means, essentially what it means to be a believer, it it means is to be united with Jesus. That your life is caught up in his life. That your life is hidden, in a sense, inside of Jesus. That he covers you. And what it means is that, that any and everything that's true of Jesus is therefore true of you. Because you are in Christ, hidden inside of him. When Jesus died, your old self died. When Jesus was raised, you were raised with him. It means that God treats you, views you, loves you exactly the same way he does his son Jesus. I'll give you a quick illustration. Uh, A uh, former campus minister friend of mine uh, told told the story that um, he actually got to be friends with uh, I don't want to give too many details, but so another state somewhere else, right? 
Um, he got to be friends, uh, pretty good friends with arguably the most influential man in the state. Okay? And he was very wealthy, very influential, a guy that everybody loves. And uh, they get to be friends. And so my friend, right, the, the former campus minister in the story, by his own admission, is big-time redneck. Okay? Um, and so this guy invites him to his country club to come play golf. And my friend loves to play golf. And so he goes, uh, and he gets there first. And it's not going well. Let's just say that, right? He's changing, like, he, this makes no sense. He, he's changing the shoes in the parking lot, which are really nice clubs. Like, you just don't do that. It's embarrassing, right? He's loud. Um, he's just wearing, like, loud clothing. Um, and he's just, he's just sticking out big time, and he's about to get kicked out. <laughs> And so somebody comes over to him and says, like, sir, can we help you? Because you clearly don't belong here. And uh, he basically says, who are you with? And he says, well, I'm here. I'm waiting for. And he gives that guy's name. And he's like, okay, sure. You know, and this guy's thinking, like, yeah, whatever. And so he gets in touch with this guy, right, doubting his story. So he calls the guy, this member. And this guy says, oh, yeah, I'm I'm coming. I'm running late. But he's with me. Take care of him. Treat him like he's me. And he said, it was amazing, the difference. And he said, it, actually, it wasn't even a, like a, a fake difference. Because this guy, like the, the member, everybody loves this guy. And respects this guy and you want to be near him. But, but once they realize, like, oh, you're with him? Completely different. They wait on him hand and foot. Anything that you need, you're right, you know, yes, sir, right? Why? Because in, in a, it's not a perfect illustration, but his life is sort of caught up in, it's, it's hidden in that guy's, right? He covers him. And so my friend gets treated like he's incredibly influential and powerful and respected. Right? You, you get the idea. So can it really be true that God would treasure you and love you? Not just the way that, you know, you might, uh, somebody that's really cool or really influential, but, but that God treasures you the same way he does his own son, Jesus. That's amazing. And that'll bring real joy. Thirdly and finally, uh, I want you to see uh, what Paul tells us in verse 2, that uh, he, he says that grace comes from Jesus. So, right, Paul tells us who he is, and then he tells us who he's writing to, and then the first words out of Paul's mouth, after he says, you know, sort of the two from section, he says, grace. Grace and peace to you from, from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't have time to focus on the peace. We're just going to talk about grace tonight. Um, But look, yeah, the first words out of his mouth are Jesus wants you to know and Jesus wants you to have grace. One commentator I read said it this way, that Paul is basically assuring them of the unchanged attitude of God. He's saying God still feels the exact same way about you, and that is that grace, right? What what does grace mean? It It means that it's absolutely free. That him treasuring you like that, setting you apart as holy, 
that that's absolutely real and it's absolutely free to you. It's a gift. It's grace. Paul's telling them, and of course telling us, this is not something that you earned. It's so good, and you didn't do anything for it. It's absolutely free. You can't earn your way into it. He offers it to people that don't deserve it. He just simply gives himself to people that need him and that want him. I don't know why this illustration popped in my head, but uh, it's one of the one of the greatest displays of grace that, uh, yeah, that I, I think I've ever seen in some in some sense. And it came from my junior high PE class, right? All guys, junior high guys, PE class. So look, you can imagine. Look, typically there ain't a whole lot of grace going on in junior with junior high boys during PE, um, and that was actually very much uh, at work. Uh, there's a guy. There's a guy in our class. I'm gonna call him Trent. Um, and Trent was like terribly unathletic. Like he was just far and away the you know the worst at whatever game we would play or sport or whatever. And like the worst thing ever is picking teams, right? It's just a, it's just a horrible thing to put people through. And so Trent got picked last every single day because he was terrible. And he got made fun of every single day until our coach decided to play one day. Our coach kind of noticed all this. Normally, you're like, you know, he's over here not doing a whole lot. And he notices this. And he says, all right, right, I'm going to play, you know, whatever, dodgeball, whatever. And he says, I'm going to be captain. I got first pick. I picked Trent. And everybody laughed, except Trent. And coach played every single day for the rest of the year. And he picked Trent first every single day for the rest of the year. And he made sure that Trent had fun. He made sure that he won a lot. He made sure that Trent uh, was protected. Right? He didn't let people pick on him. He took care of Trent. And it was beautiful. And it was an amazing display of just pure grace, right? Because Trent didn't deserve it. Now, look, nobody deserves to be treated poorly like that. But Trent's not a good dodgeball player. He's the worst one there. But he just gave it to him absolutely for free. He didn't earn it in any way. He just, he just dumped it on him. And look, that is a very small picture of how Jesus loves you. It's, it's tiny, right? Because in one sense, that didn't cost Coach a whole lot. It didn't really cost him a whole lot to do that. It's awesome, but it didn't cost him a whole lot. But God's grace to you in Christ, right? It, it cost Jesus, in a sense, everything. He gave up his life for you. But it was worth it to him because you were his treasure. It was worth it. So let me end with this thought. What does God's grace have to do with you? Look, you might, have been, you might be following along with us and think one of two things. You might be here and think like, man, that, that sounds great. I said, I'd love to find joy in life. I'd love to be treasured by anybody, much less God. But you keep talking about, or that it's, this was written to the saints and it's for the church and, you know, 
sort of for churchy people that do churchy things, and that's, that's not me, right? I'm, I'm not one of those folks. And what I want you to see is that Jesus offers this to people absolutely by grace, that it's for people that can't earn it. Right, so if you're thinking that, if you're thinking, I don't know, it's not for me, I'm sort of out too far out of bounds, you're not. It's the whole, in fact, it's the whole point. That what Jesus offers is for you, if you think that. It's for you if you need it. And it's free to take. And then lastly, if you, if you are a believer, right? And you're sitting here and you're thinking, that, that does sound good, but I, I don't feel like I'm really experiencing the love of God and the joy that you're talking about. And, you know, maybe it's because you're not, uh, because I'm not living right. And maybe you think, like, if I, I'll, I'll really start experiencing that if I, when, when I shape up. I really need to quit doing that. And then I'll really experience this joy. You know, maybe I'll, uh, what I, what, I need to show God something. And then it'll kind of kick in. And what I want to show you is exactly the same thing. That Jesus loves people by grace, right? Who's Paul writing to? He's writing to Christians, to people that already believe this, that are very much on board. And the first thing that he needs to tell them, because they need to hear it, is, hey, grace. You don't clean yourself up to get God to love you. And we're going to talk about this next week. It's not like God um, saves you and then says, like, all right, man, good luck with that. Like, hang on to that. Don't lose it. It's start to finish grace. And that's the good news. Because where there's grace, there's joy. And I hope you'll come back each week as we, uh, as we see what joy, see the joy that Paul points us to in Christ. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that there, um, that there can be joy, that there is joy, that you are the source of it, and that you give it away for free. And amazingly enough that you find your joy in us somehow. Father, we pray that that, would, that, that truth would, would be the truth that motivates and inflames the hearts of everyone in here. And if that's not true, Father, would you please make it so, even tonight. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.